Well, good morning. Uh, happy Easter Sunday morning. Uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the this is the high point of the Christian year, and uh, you know if you think about the many different statements that we find in the New Testament, there are just so so many that point out the significance of this of this day and what was accomplished on this resurrection day two thousand years ago. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter four verse twenty five that Jesus was delivered over for our our uh, our transgressions but he was raised for our justification before God. And so we praise the Lord for that, that because of the resurrection on this, uh, on this Easter morning, 2,000 years ago, it secured uh, the, the, the peaceful standing place before God that we who have trusted in Jesus now get to enjoy and experience. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a reason that uh, neither the Jews of that day nor any archaeologist uh, from that day to now have been able to find the bones of, of Jesus Christ in any grave, which would be the quickest and most certain way to disprove uh, the, the resurrection and to prove that he did not rise from the dead because here are his bones with all the DNA evidence we could, we could uh, find from that. There's a reason that they haven't found that in all these many years is because they're not there. <laughs> the, the bones of, of Jesus aren't here on earth anymore. The bones of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, are, are now, uh, are, aren't anywhere on this earth besides the right hand of the Father in heaven where the risen Christ now is, is seated uh, in his ascended glory. So, uh, you know, the, the resurrection is, is just hard to overstate the importance of, uh, in our faith. Uh, the Apostle Paul told the Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, so raised with Christ by faith, it says if when he rose, we rose, right? Raised with Christ in the mind of God, he is our representative. Um, when we trust in him, uh, the, our resurrection is, is as certain as his because in the mind of God, we were raised when he rose. Um, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he goes on to say, for you have died and your life, now if you're trusting in Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, he's coming again, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's in Colossians chapter three. There's so many amazing texts that we could meditate on this Easter Sunday morning. If you were able um, to watch uh, the, the sunrise service that we, Lakeview Baptist Church, uh, published this morning, uh, then you would have already seen Aaron Wine thinking through that great gospel uh, resurrection text from John chapter 20. If you didn't get a chance to see that, you can uh, go to the Lakeview Baptist Church website, lakeviewbaptist.org, and uh, find it there, or you can go to any of the social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Vimeo, YouTube, uh, the channel there, and you can you can find that that sunrise service and watch Aaron's great reflection on on uh, John chapter twenty. But for a few minutes, I want us to turn our attention to another gospel account uh, of the resurrection. I love the plurality. I love the fact that we don't have one or two, but four uh, gospel accounts. You put them all together, and you have such a rich tapestry 
uh, uh, presentation of the truth, and we, uh, we have such rich accounts uh, of the life and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, uh, we're going to look at another gospel account, um, and so you can be turning and finding the gospel of Matthew chapter 28. At the outset, I want to make clear that in this in this video and in this um, in this reflection on the resurrection, I don't I don't plan to say anything new this morning. Um, I mean, if you're watching this video, and I hope you are, and you're and you're uh, you are unfamiliar with the Christian faith, with anything about the Christian faith, um, then then by all means. Practically everything that I say to you this morning will be uh, will be new, and and I hope it will be also clear and compelling to you. But if you're already a believer, and uh, and you know very well the claims of Christianity, then the I plan to say things that you have likely heard a thousand times at least. Um, but that's I want you to know that. That's not because of lack of creativity on my part, though I don't claim to be the most creative person in the world. But uh, this is very intentional on my part. If you've been around our college ministry for a while, you you know you've heard me say this before. You know why uh, I have this intention intentionality about uh, myself because I, the scriptures tell us that the Christian faith is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The faith that is once for all. Delivered to the saints. The faith, it's, it's, a, it's a codified thing. It's an accomplished reality, and it is codified in Scripture for us, and it is once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, and so you can say it this way, the word, when you come to the Scriptures, the Word of God is always, always timely in your life, but it is never new, right? It is an ancient faith. And we should, we should beware of those who always seem to bring a new uh, word, a new message, a new word, like or always feel that they have to put a new varnish or a new spin or a new take on an old truth. There's not no, there's nothing wrong with applying it to certain situations, but everybody's always searching for something new to say. You should beware of, because God has designed for us in His wisdom, uh, He's designed for us to benefit most deeply and most richly from those truths that he has given to us once for all and to hear them again and again and again. Just like you see that in Old Testament and, and New Testament, and just like uh, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6, 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. The ancient paths. And that's in the Old Testament. You come to the New Testament, you find the Apostle Peter writing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder so per Jeremiah, go for the ancient paths, and then per Peter, we're to be reminded of those paths again and again and again, even if we feel like we already know them, and even if we feel like we're already established in them. The way I like to think about it is that in the day of, in the day of trouble or need, and, 
And if, if you're breathing air, there will be a day, if you've not already experienced them, a day of trouble or need in your life. And in the day of trouble or need, what will help you in that day uh, is not the, the thousand new things you heard Sunday by Sunday. You won't be able to bring any of those things to mind. What, you will, what the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind to comfort you on that day of need or trouble will be the one thing, the ancient truth that you heard a thousand times uh, every Sunday. And we can know that even if we, as we come back to the same truths again and again, and are reminded of these ancient paths that he's given to us to be reminded of again and again. We can know that as we hear that again and again, that God is doing his good work in us as we just hear his simple truths again and again. So with that being said, I've already asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. So that's the last chapter in the gospel of Matthew. This is the, this is the climactic event of Matthew's gospel. It, if you were familiar with this whole gospel, it has been building steadily since the early chapters, uh, to this conclusion of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection, there, uh, there, there are some um, people in liberal scholarship who, who don't believe in, in the bodily resurrection because they, they come with certain presuppositions that rule out miracles of all kinds. But if God is who he says he is, then, th then it is perfectly reasonable to believe that this miracle happened uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ bodily raising from the dead. And his bodily resurrection uh, from the dead is, is part of the bedrock of the Christian faith. Just as much as his death on the cross, and, and in fact, if you take e away either one of those things, either his death on the cross or his resurrection, you lose the Christian faith and you lose the Christian hope altogether. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that it is of first importance to believe that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That being true, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it is interesting what he says a few verses later in that same chapter, in verse 17, when he says, but if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So how can that be? How, have you ever thought about that? How, how, how can that be that if he hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins? He just said in verse 3 that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So uh, how can we say that if he died for our sins, then if he hasn't been raised, we're still in our sins? Uh, there, he is making very clear right there in that passage that there is no Christian faith. There is no salvation if Jesus is still in the tomb. No matter that he died. How is that the case? Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sins. It, the, the Romans 6.23, uh, the wages of sin is death. And by his dying, he was taking upon himself the consequences of our sin. And so on the cross, he died in order to pay the wage for our sins. And therefore, as long as Jesus remained dead and in the tomb and in the grave, he was paying the, the, the wage and the price for our sin. He was still suffering uh, and undergoing the consequence for our sin for as long as he was dead. And for that reason, as long as he was dead, 
and remain dead, our sins were not fully paid for, right? Hence, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. But in fact, uh, the moment that Jesus rose from the dead and walked out of the tomb, it signaled to the world that the payment for sins had been made in full and had been accepted by, by God in heaven. And the resurrection, therefore, along with the crucifixion on the cross, is the foundation of our faith. And this morning, from Matthew's account of this resurrection, I want us to think about these two things, the truth and the triumph of the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection and the triumph of the resurrection. So the truth of the resurrection. I want to think about the fact of it, the reality of it, and how Matthew presents that truth to us, how he presents that reality and that fact to us and what we can learn from that. Then we're going to think lastly about the triumph of the resurrection and think, think uh, a little bit about what the resurrection achieved and what it accomplished and, what, and how we should live in light of the fact that he rose from the dead, what it means for us. So if you found Matthew 28 in your Bible, uh, I invite you to follow along as I read aloud uh, the, the entire chapter, verses 1 through 20. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other, other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, uh, and said, tell people, here's the, here's the story they concocted, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him while we, away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, uh, we believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son in human flesh, has risen from the dead for our justification as we trust in Him. 
Thank you for this resurrection account in Matthew's gospel. We confess also our belief that what we just read is your inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And we ask that you would give us eyes to, to see the truth clearly in these verses. Would you please also give us hearts to embrace and love the truth that we see in these pages and in these words. Give us wills to obey whatever you call us to do and direct us to do in it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give me the help that I need to teach. I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in the first half of this chapter, we're going to be focusing on the truth of the resurrection. Uh, then, then the latter half, the triumph of the resurrection. So the truth of the, the resurrection in the first half of the chapter. The passage opens uh, at, at early dawn on Sunday morning. And Mary Magdalene, it tells us, went to the tomb uh, still going, her intention was to go and mourn the death of the Lord Jesus. In her mind, he was still dead and would have still been in the tomb. So she goes to the tomb, just like any of us would go to the grave of a loved one, to mourn and pay respects, right? But but as as uh, they approach the, the, the place, the text says in verse 2 that another great earthquake happened. Just One had just happened a few days earlier when Jesus yielded up his spirit on the cross and, and, and died. It tells us that the earth shook at that moment. Um, this time it says that the, the, pa the passage says that the earthquake happened because uh, the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, had descended and he rolled back the stone that covered the tomb. Now, at this point, I, I just want to highlight a few things about the passage uh, that emphasize the truth of the resurrection, the truth of it. Uh, first of all, consider the fact that the stone in this passage, the stone was not rolled away by that angel in order to let Jesus out, right? If you read it carefully, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away in order to let the witnesses in, right? When, when, when the stone was rolled away, Jesus was already gone. And Matthew does not spend his time uh, trying to explain some elaborate scheme whereby Jesus got out of the tomb. He simply states the fact that he was no longer there. Uh, and the only reason that the stone was rolled away was so that the, the witnesses could see the news and therefore go and tell the news. Now, on that note, uh, also, it was an angel who rolled the, the stone away. Let's, let's consider why it was an angel uh, who, who was there to announce Jesus' resurrection. I mean, God uh, could have just willed the stone to be moved in the same way that he willed the creation itself. Let there be light. Let the, let the dry land sep uh, separate the waters from the waters. Uh, let there be stars. I mean, he could will it to happen. He could have willed the stone to be moved. He didn't necessarily need the assistance of an angel. So why the appearance of an angel here? Well, I think, remember, Matthew is telling this, and I think Matthew's gospel is very intentionally here ending in the way, in the same way or a similar way that it began. By, uh, how was, think back to Matthew chapter 1, if you're familiar with the gospel. If you need to, you can turn back there. But when Jesus came into the world, how was Jesus' incarnation and his birth, how was it announced in Matthew chapter 1? by a host of angels. 
Now, in the end, how is his resurrection uh, announced? By an angel. The point being, uh, Jesus rose from the dead just as surely as he came into the world. Both of them announced by angels. Let me also point out the, the absolute significance. So we've seen two evidences. One, uh, the fact that when the stone was rolled away, Jesus was already gone, and the whole point was to let the witnesses, witnesses see and then tell. Secondly, that it was an angel who rolled the stone away, indicating the certainty of the resurrection, just as he announced the certainty of his incarnation. And now thirdly, let's point out the significance of the fact that the first witnesses to the tomb that day were women. They were women. And, and, and that's actually uh, told to us, you know, in, in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, two Marys, uh, went to see the tomb. Now, you read that today in 2020, and that may not seem like a big deal at all, but in that day, that was a very big deal in the telling and the witnessing to this truth. Uh, because in that day, and you may know this, you may have heard this already before, women of that day had very few rights in society. Uh, and an example of that fact is that women of that day did not even have the right to testify in a Jewish court of law. They were not to be believed merely because they were women. Their testimony was discounted. They, they, they would only hear and deem legitimate testimony the testimony given by men. Now, why is that noteworthy? For this reason, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if Matthew or any other gospel writers were trying to make up a story, right, and make up a believable story about Jesus rising from the dead, and they wanted to be their story as they told it to be more believable to the people of that day, they would not have said that women were the first people to arrive and witness this truth of this resurrection. They would not uh, make up the fact that women were the first carriers of the news and that the whole thing was dependent upon the testimony of, of women. The fact that women were there first shows that in God's plan and God's purpose, first of all, it shows that God does not discount the testimony of women, but it also shows that in his plan and his purpose, uh, the truthfulness of this story, right? Not only are, are, is the testimony of women not in any way inferior to the, the testimony of any others, but it shows the truthfulness of the story because it isn't what any person of that day would have made up. It would have been the last thing they would have made up. And furthermore, Jesus himself appears to the disciples in verse 9. He met them and he says, greetings, and he and Jesus confirms by his appearance to them, he, he confirms the testimony of both the angels and the women. So over and over again, one way after another, Matthew emphasizes the truth of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But to what purpose? Only to, only to emphasize, uh, you know, to the, 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 that once presented with that truth, uh, it's not just so we know the truth, but once we are presented with that truth, we have to uh, respond to that truth. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful truth to be presented with. It's not, it's not like saying, well, the sun came up today. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a miracle that happened, the most monumental miracle that's ever happened on the face of the earth. The Son of God rose again from the dead. That's a truth that once heard, you must respond to it. And I think Matthew emphasizes 
and highlights two ways uh, of responding to this truth. Look with me first, beginning in verse 11, and recall uh, how the chief priests and some of the others reacted to the news that Jesus uh, of Jesus resurrection look again at verses 11 through 15 while they were going behold some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said tell people that uh, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money as did, uh, and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So there's one response to the news that Jesus rose from the dead. They refused to believe it. Uh, they didn't want to believe it. That's why they refused. They didn't want to believe it. People believe what they want to believe. And if they don't want to believe, then no matter how much compelling evidence is given, they will not believe. And, and so they didn't believe here, and they tried to explain it away in some other way, namely that the disciples came and stole Jesus' body. Now contrast that reaction with that of Jesus' disciples. When Jesus appears to them in verse 9 uh, and, and, and says greetings, it says in verse 9 that they, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, you might respond to that comparison of those two, those two reactions and say, well, yeah, I mean, Jesus physically appeared to the disciples, right? And so they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. If Jesus had physically appeared to the high priest and the soldiers and things like that, perhaps they would have reacted differently. Uh, I mean, the disciples were looking right at him, and, and all that the, the chief priests and the soldiers heard was testimony that he had risen from the dead. Well, let me... So, of course, you know, somebody might say, well, of course the disciples believe. But let me point out a couple of things in response to that. First of all, that kind of response uh, underestimates the power of sin and unbelief in us, in every one of us. Jesus, later in, in another part of the Gospels, he told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You, you may know the story. You can find it in Luke, Luke chapter 16. The, they both died, the rich man died and, and Lazarus, the beggar outside his gates, died. Lazarus went to heaven and the rich man went to hell and, and the, the rich man was in agony and he was begging the, the Lord uh, to, to, he had brothers still alive and he was begging the Lord to let him out of there for just a minute to go warn his brothers uh, lest they come to that place as well when they died. And Jesus replied uh, to that man that, to say to the rich man who's in hell, he said that his brothers who were still alive, they still have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they still have the witness of the Bible. And if they don't believe the Bible, he says, his brothers would not believe even if someone should rise from the dead and tell them. And that, that's, an, that's an amazing proposition. Sin deceives us so much that even if we saw someone rise from the dead with our own eyes, uh, without, apart from the grace of God, we would, we would uh, find uh, some other way to, uh, uh, to, to explain it away, right? Our sin and our unbelief is, is, a, is a powerful thing. Uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost like a Scrooge in, in uh, A Christmas Carol when the first ghost um, appears to him Right, he 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 tries to explain it away that it's it's maybe something that he ate 
right? And it's indigestion. And, he's, and he tells the ghost, there's more gravy than grave than you, right? He's trying to explain it away. He doesn't want to believe. He doesn't he, he, can't, he doesn't have a category for what he's seeing right in front of him. And sin would do the same to us. Um, we, we, would, we would explain it away. I don't know. I was, it was a dream or I, was, I, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I can't explain it. I just, I just know that isn't what happened. You know, we do that. And, and furthermore, it even tells us here in, in, uh, in Matthew uh, at 28, verse 17, that some of the disciples even doubted initially. And, and John's gospel tells us that it was uh, the disciple Thomas who doubted. Uh, and Jesus said to Thomas in John's gospel, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the choice is still the same to us 2,000 years later. Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul says. And the angel of the Lord in the first chapter of Matthew that, that, that announced his arrival and his coming in, announced in, in Matthew one twenty three that Jesus was coming to save his people from their sins. And he has done just that by the time you get to the end of the gospel. He and he came proclaiming in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus perfectly fulfilled God's law and God's requirements for every man. And, and he died a sacrificial death for our sins and failures, and then he rose victoriously from the dead to show that the payment for our guilt and our shame had been paid in full. And the salvation he purchased is now given to everyone who believes. That's the truth of the, of the, of the resurrection. But, but we need to also consider the triumph of the resurrection, having seen the truth of it. And I don't believe it's mere coincidence that directly on the heels of the resurrection account in the first half of the chapter, you have the Great Commission given in verses 18 through 20. And I want us to read that again and think for just a second about what Jesus is saying there. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now when we read that, most often we focus uh, on the main command that is given right there in the middle of it, namely the, the, the only command that is given there, make disciples. Uh, once we believe and become disciples, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the main mission for the rest of our lives is to help other people become his disciples as well, whether it be our friends and neighbors or our own children or people in faraway lands where uh, the message of Jesus has never even gone before and, and we feel compelled of the Lord, we need to be the ones to go to that place and bring that message to them. If we have a job that hinders us from fulfilling that call of God on our lives, then we need a different job, right? If we have, if we have built in and ingrained habits in our lives uh, that keep us from making disciples like Jesus commanded to do, we need new habits. Whatever else we may do in this life, we're doing it wrong if we're not in seeking in some way to honor Jesus' command here to make disciples. But there's more uh, in, to this passage that is noteworthy 
other than that main command. Notice again in verse 17 that it points out that most of them, except Thomas at this point, were worshiping him. And, and what are Jesus' first words in verse 18? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in this universe belongs to Jesus Christ. All the way through the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus, as theologians put it, in his state of humiliation. His state of humiliation. As he was humbling himself to do everything that was necessary to be the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. And in that process, he humbly submitted to human authorities and submitted even to the point of death, even death on a cross. But now that salvation is complete and has been accomplished, now we see Jesus in a new state that theologians call his state of exaltation, no longer in the, the state of humiliation, but now in his state of exaltation. And he is no longer submitting himself to someone like Pontius Pilate or anyone else, because now he again is, is risen and ruling and reigning over all that is, and all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And as he gives his church, his people, this mandate uh, to go throughout the world and, and proclaim his gospel and make disciples of, of all nations, he gives this majestic promise in verse 20, uh, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we go and take his gospel, as we go and in obedience to his command, make disciples, we can know that we are not going alone and we're not going in our own strength, but the one who has all authority in heaven on earth is going with us and he is through us working to build his kingdom uh, that it will come on earth as it is in heaven. So I hope as we've thought for just a few minutes about the truth, and the triumph of his resurrection. I hope you, you realize on this Easter Sunday how amazing these truths are. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, bodily, physically, really. And because of that, salvation and forgiveness belongs to you in full if you have repented of your sins and have put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you and in him alone forsaking all of your works, forsaking all of your efforts, forsaking all trust and confidence in yourself or anything about you, faith and trust and confidence solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. But also the resurrection shows that Jesus is not merely a risen Savior for you, but he is a risen Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And just as surely as he came the first time, he is risen and he is reigning now, and he will return a second time. And when he returns, he's coming to gather to himself all his church, everyone who has believed, and he will bring his judgment on all who have not. There's a lot of sentimentalism in our culture around Easter. Most of our country, when we think about, uh, <laughs> when we think about Easter, we think about Cadbury eggs and bunnies and, and uh, candy and uh, things like that. But, but if you are a Christian who, who's familiar with the, the scriptures and the, and the claims of the Christian faith, we also know that there is a, uh, there, there, there's nothing wrong to make merry and in different ways uh, on Easter. But we also know that underneath that there is a gravity and there's an urgency uh, to Easter that we sadly neglect 
when all of those other things have the sole focus of the day. Jesus is risen, he is reigning, and he is returning. To all those who are not trusting in Christ and have not and have refused to repent of their sins, merely even to acknowledge them, uh, in that moment that Jesus returns, and no one knows when that will be, that will be for them a moment of judgment, of fearful judgment, of eternal judgment. But for those who are all in Christ by faith, uh, it will be a moment of glory and a moment of joy. I hope that you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone uh, today for the forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of eternal life. That is only possible because he is risen. He is risen indeed.